G'day you mob, welcome back to Talking Heads, Chris Matthews here, hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you might be. We've got a cracker of a yarn lined up today on Talking Heads with the one and only Lynn Botell. I've known Linny for quite a while now and she has one of the greatest voices in Australia, but apart from that, she's one hell of a songwriter and uh, I had the absolute privilege of going really in depth to quite a few of her songs in this yarn you're about to hear. And she is a beautiful explainer of how she goes about what she does and why she does it. Um, so hopefully a couple of your favourite songs might be in here like they were mine. And uh, how these songs came into being is pretty amazing. So without any further ado, let's welcome the Talking Heads, the amazing, the incredible, the wonderful Lynn Botell. Well, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome to Talking Heads the one and only Lynn Botell. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on, on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure, Chris O. I just love seeing your face, even though the listeners don't have that um, that joy of your smile, but I'm sure they can hear it in your voice. <laughs> you know, smiling's a beautiful way to be, so why not? So, <laughs> um, When I was first putting this podcast together, you were one of the first people I thought of because I love your songwriting and how you approach it and also your passion for sharing songwriting with other people. And um, it's such an amazing thing. So I'm going to start um, with uh, the title track of one of your albums that I absolutely love, um, Heart of Sorrow. Uh, amazing album, amazing song, the melodies, the chord changes, just everything about that song is just ridiculous. So I'd like to just ask about <laughs> how that song came into being before we go a little bit more in depth. Uh, okay, well, originally I, I I started, I think, I think I started the idea at home and then I went out on tour with Luke O'Shea our beautiful friend. And um, by the way, I do apologize for my husky voice. I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> but um, we went out on tour and and we were spending a lot of time driving as you do. And I had a ukulele in the car because, you know, the old um, fat lady's a little bit big for driving in the passenger, being in the passenger seat playing along. So I had her in the car and I had a little uke. And Damon, my partner, was doing 90% of the driving. So, um, I just started mucking around on the A minor, which I was doing at home and and singing it. And I had a lot of the arrangement and everything already happening, but I didn't I didn't kind of have all all the lyrics completely finalized. And I basically was writing it from the perspective of the fact that from the fact that I didn't fit in, that um, I'm a country music singer. And that's where I've always had my career, but I've always felt I'm not the typical, whatever that even is, right? But at the time I was kind of going through this, where do I even fit, you know? And and alternative country wasn't a thing at that point. Like in Australia, we didn't have we didn't have alt country as one of our subgenres in the golden guitars, for example. So I I was playing this music that was based in like blues and roots and you know really um i guess acoustic guitar driven 
but sometimes I wanted it to rock out. And I was like, what is this? This isn't country. This is, I'm not singing about utes or, you know, life on the land. <laughs> and honestly, you know, I really didn't feel like I fit in. So I was also saying, you know, I'm just, I'm not prepared to give up despite the fact that I don't feel like I fit in. So um, I guess that's why it's in a minor key as well, but it moves to the major in the chorus, which is kind of my, I won't go without a fight vibe behind it. Yeah. It's, a, it's an incredible song, Linny. Um, and I, like you said, one of the things I love about you is the fact that you can be so diverse in your singing and your songwriting. Um, and like you said, you're starting that song on the A minor and going to the floor of that progression, which is one of my favourite yeah. in- intervals in the melodies. Oh, she's got a guitar. Yeah, Excellent. just uh, get it out and yeah. if you want. Um, if I won't weep, I might be a little husky. Let me cry. So that was basically, if I won't weep, if I'm not going to be mournful, at least let me, it was, it's, it's all um, metaphors and similes for my idea of music. So I was saying like, if I'm not going to be a mournful singer, at least let me have melancholy. <laughs> if I won't sleep, let me lie. So, you know, like if I need a break, just leave me be, you know, because in and out of my career, I've had lots of on and off time, you know, um, where I've been hell for leather and then I've had to have a little break for many different reasons. So um, where I'm up to and sleep, let me lie and if I won't break, let me bend. That was about, <laughs> from my perspective, um, if I won't yodel, <laughs> I'm not going to be a yodeler. <laughs> the old yodeling. <laughs> I'm sure you do it amazingly though, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when I was 14, coming back from um, Charters Towers Country Music Festival and I decided I heard Karina Cordwell yodel and I was like, I want to be a yodeler and I'm going in the back seat. and dad pulls the car over in the caravan. He says, Lynette, if you continue to do that, I'm going to leave you here on the side of the road. <laughs> I was like, so you don't think I'll be a good yodeler, Dad? And he's like, you're terrible. Please stop. And he was one of those people that I could do no wrong. So <laughs> for him to tell me I was dreadful, I was like, hmm, okay, I'm going to take that as a, as a hint, Dad. I shouldn't be a yodeler. But that was where that kind of came from. And also the literal about um, if I won't break, if I won't give up, just let me bend, you know, let me bend the rules a little, let me find my own way around. Um, let me bend, oh, if I won't break. <laughs> let me bend, <laughs> if I seem fake, <laughs> there it is. It's pretend. So a lot of what we're doing in the music industry is putting on a mask. Sometimes you have to. I mean, you can't be the person that goes and does the grocery shopping on stage. It doesn't work. Most people don't want to see that. <laughs> they want to have a, a bigger, brighter, bolder, I guess, stronger version of you. And um, it's kind of my way of saying, you know, if I ever seem fake, it, I'm just pretending. I'm just pretending to to know what the hell I'm doing and to seem like I've got it all together because sometimes I have no idea. You know, so that's kind of what that all came from, you know, and um, but 
the thing I do love about songs that aren't necessarily literal like that um, is that you can take from it what you will as the listener. I think I think that's um, the really cool thing about songwriting in general. Even if it is literal, people will take their own meaning from that and and put it into their own perspective. Um, we were so having that discussion I- with uh, Brad Butcher actually um, on, a, on an episode and um he was saying exactly the same thing, you know, once you've written the song, how people interpret is completely up to them and that's where the song really spreads wings. Um, And I think because in that song that we're talking about here, you're using sort of phrases that people would be aware of, but you're you're rewording them and sort of turning them on their head in ways that people haven't heard before. And it's really clever to hear things where you go, oh, I know what she's about to say, but then you don't actually say it, you say it in another way. Um, and that, I think that's the sign of a great songwriter when you can say something really familiar but in a completely new way. Well, thanks, Chris. Thank you. I um, I think, you know, they're idioms, aren't they? They're things we know. And, and I think that that always works in a certain way, but when you do flip it, it does kind of surprise you, and I, I like that. Um, and then the chorus goes to the, so we're going A minor to a, an F9. So it's it's like a, it's not even a normal straight happy F. It's got, it's questioning itself. <laughs> and then the chorus is, um, we go to the, the C, so the major. I won't go without a fight. I'm not gonna beg or borrow all my life Driven by fear to follow, but I'm alright Dragging this heart of sorrow So like, um, you know, the confident, you know what? Stuff that, I don't care if, I don't, if I'm not everyone's cup of tea, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere um, I'm gonna go without a fight. I'm not gonna beg or borrow. I, my idea was I'm not gonna, because I've been in and out of record labels, and that, in a sense, was about you know I'm not gonna beg for a record deal. I'm also not gonna copy other people because stuff that. I'm just gonna try and be me. <laughs> um, not gonna beg or borrow. All my life driven by fear to follow, and I think we've all felt that you know like that fear of, of being different, that um, if I'm different, people may not like me. And I was like, you know, I've been driven by this for so long, I just have to let it go. Um, but I'm all right, dragging this heart of sorrow. And um, yeah, just kind of, I'm going back to that minor makes all the sense there. Dragging this heart of sorrow. Um, yeah, so kind of, I don't know, is this one of those songs that honestly it played itself and then Damon is a real, um, he's a real gift to me as a partner, as a manager and a songwriter. I'm just going to make it down Because his, he has like this microscopic view of lyrics that I don't have so I'm like it's the vibe man you know and he'll go that's cool but have you thought of da 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 I'm like oh and you know it's a really good thing to have that and we work incredibly well that way usually I'll write I guess 
75% of a song, what I think is 75% of a song needs a few little things here and there and I'll take it to him and and then we kind of, I don't know, put the icing on the cake and, you know, my dad was a pastry cook so I often refer to cakes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we just put that cherry on the top, you know, and, and, and there's something very powerful about that and I've learnt, um, I've learnt that, you know, I'm still, I'm still very much, I kind of write a song and blurt it. And then I think, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, and I'm still learning after 30 years of, of writing, how to get better at drafting and redrafting. Cause there's also a part of me that knows I've spoiled many songs by over overworking it, you know, and another cooking reference over egging the pudding, you know, like, just kind of doing too much to it and then it loses something. So I guess um, it's finding that balance, I think. Michael, yeah, well, Michael Waugh, when we spoke to him, he referred to it as like setting a jelly. He said the inspiration is like the making of the jelly mixture and then you put it in the fridge and then like as you work away, as that jelly starts to set, it, you know, you can either get it to set slightly on an angle, which doesn't really work sometimes, you know, and sometimes it just stays wobbly and won't set at all. <laughs> He said, you know, he said, when you can get a jelly that just sits and sets perfectly, you know you're onto something. It, that is so true. I, I love those analogies. And Shane Nicholson uses an analogy um, with production and songwriting about cordial. And he'll say, you, you need to have, because, you know, when cordial is too strong, when you, the essence is too strong, you can't even drink it. It's like, oh, God, this is overwhelming. And then when it's too weak, meh. Why would you bother? So it's, again, that same kind of analogy, like just kind of getting it just right. And um, I don't know, there's sometimes they just fall out and you go, well, holy crap, that's just a perfect jelly or a perfect cake or a perfect cordial. And then other times you've only got, you know, one verse, but you know it's good. So it can take a long time. I won't go. Just before we move on, I love that chorus of that song because it almost gives it a feel like you've gone to a two-four feel in a four-four progression with the changing of your of the chords. I mean, you can see it both ways, but the way you accent it, you know, it's like two-four. It just is this really beautiful um, distinction between the verses and the chorus of that song. Apart from the melodies you're singing, obviously, uh, was that a deliberate thing, or is, did that just happen naturally as the song came out? Look, I I think there's a lot to be said for what you've listened to as a young artist or what you've consumed yourself with I don't I didn't sit there going yes I should definitely halve those bars you know because it could have been I won't go without a fight but it would have lost the momentum and the movement and it wouldn't have represented the feeling of going you know the verses are kind of like woe is me no <sighs> And then the choruses are like, no, I can do this. So I think, yeah, the juxtaposition of, of the change there 
in tempo and well not tempo sorry in the timing of the chords makes all the difference I would have I can't be sure really I'm pretty sure it was instinctive but as I as I was saying I think the the reason I've learned to do that is by listening to my heroes um you know I didn't have I didn't have this obvious kind of I'm going to do that now I never would have stuck on that whole chord and stretched it out it just didn't feel right and um you know I put that down to listening to people like Dolly Parton from a very early age she's an incredible songwriter um she was my first real hero songwriter and singer and um you know I, I can hear things that I do I don't sound like her I've got an alto voice she's a soprano um I don't write songs like she does but the I guess you could say the pro forma is kind of there like I can hear that I do things that I think Dolly would do I mean you know one could be so hopeful <laughs> <laughs> I think you're up there just quietly, but that's just my opinion. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, on the same album, there's a great song called Selfish Heart, which I really, really love. Um, the melody of the first line in the verses is just so, so catchy and, like, it's just so memorable. You know, you can, you can sing it you know, the first time you hear it. And um, did that come really early in the writing of that song or did you go, you know, and, or did you really have to work at that melody there? Because I know how much you love melody as a, as a writer and uh, as a singer. So I'm just wondering if that happened naturally or you really worked at it because it is killer. That happened naturally. Da, 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 da. That thing I came up with in the bedroom while the boys were having red wine and making toast after a gig one night. It was Michael, it was the same tour with Luke. O'Shea and Michael Bryars and myself and Damon was on the road with us. So I kind of, I had this idea. And so I went into, um, I went into the room and the idea of the lyric of the door. Um, have you ever come to a door standing open? Um, trying to think of the next lyric. <laughs> anyway, I was looking at the door and that's, I had the melody. So I mumbled something about a door and the selfish heart idea, I was thinking about my ex-husband. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was kind of thinking about the freedom I was feeling on the road and the happiness I felt and the, I guess, yeah, just that sense of appreciation for being around people who weren't selfish human beings. And he wasn't all that bad all the time, but in our relationship, you know, it wasn't great. So um, I was thinking about him and then I actually, that's one where Damon and I wrote like the lyrics almost 50-50. Um, yeah, that was a song that uh, I guess I, I had to write and had I written it on my own, it would have probably, I don't know if it would have been so, the perspective would have been skewed. It would have been a crooked jelly you know, it would have been you bastard, <laughs> I hate you the whole way through instead of kind of looking at it from that perspective of, of you know, what it's like to be in a one-sided commitment in a sense. That's one, one thing I've really noticed is when I've been listening to your songs um, is that you are obviously writing from a lot of experience in what you're writing about and it's almost like it's a, a very cathartic thing for you, songwriting, um, you know, but... 
you're covering some pretty sort of, you know, hard sort of topics that you're wearing your heart on your sleeve, but you never point the finger, you never accuse, and you give this really sort of like beautiful 50-50 view of sort of both sides of anything you're singing about. Um, and is that basically like you working through the process and trying to understand what you've gone through? And uh, do or, or do you on purpose make sure you don't point the finger and don't accuse and let people make up their own mind in song? Well, it's interesting that that's your perspective. I worry sometimes that I'm far too accusing. <laughs> I worry that I'm too the other way. Like, um, But that record, as I said, I especially that whole album, Heart of Sorrow, um, like I was just thinking about Selfish Heart and there's a lyric driven by compulsion and rage. This book of rules was made for fools. And that was my, I remember writing that line and, and wanting to go even deeper into that, like that love is just, and, and a lot of my marriage was driven by compulsion and rage. Like I was compelled to stay and I was angry the whole time. And um, it was real happy times. Uh, <laughs> this book of rules was made for fools. And then Damon came in and kind of just would lighten the perspective. So I think that 50-50, a lot of the time, a lot of it came from his, on that song in particular, came from his influence. I think it might have been drastically different and, and not as good a song. And I guess... Um, Look, when I started writing when I was younger and I came up in the country music scene of talent quests in Queensland, they were a very big deal. There were lots and lots of beautiful festivals that were held um, once a month, just about. You could find a festival. And I would go to be with my mates and hang out. And I started writing then and my first songs, every song had the word country in it because I was singing country music. I thought I'd better sing about country. And um, and then as I grew older, you know, early, early 20s, I wrote a lot of Disney songs as in everything had a happy ending. So that's what I mean by a Disney song, like, you know, um, and in the end, in the third verse, everyone comes back together and finds peace and la, la, la. And so um, that was skewed as well. You know, for me, that was untrue. And I guess um, your idea about the 50-50 thing, I'm not doing that on purpose. What I'm doing on purpose, I feel now, is being real. And when I was younger, I was very much, I put glitter on the poo. <laughs> <I'm kind> of, <laughs> didn't tell whole truths so I think it it um it lacked for that like it was nice but it didn't kind of it just didn't work as well and in you know the stories I like to read the the movies I like to watch they have scripts that are that have a bit of I don't know it hurts sometimes to watch it hurts you to see the character going through that because you can relate and so the 50 50 thing I guess that's actually just me changing it from the 100% view to, to me actually having an opinion in there. I don't know. <laughs>
let's go back to one of your first um, sort of songs that's might, probably garnered you maybe one of your one of your first or two awards when you were with the uh, the Bella Group. Um, oh, Bella, yeah. Back in the early two thousands, um, a song that you wrote about a girl, which is a great yep. little song. And I love the key change in the pre-chorus that brings you into the chorus in that song using the major two chord. And I, when I heard that, I was just like, that is so clever to use that change to really make that pre-chorus stand out from where it's about to go. Um, and I know that Bella was a band of three songwriters, so I'm wondering if that was a co-write or you worked together on that or how it came into being. Okay. Um, yeah, well, Karen O'Shea and Kate Ballantyne were my other two compatriots in that group and I love those girls they're still very good friends um they are great songwriters but at that time in their lives they weren't really confident about their writing so um no about a girl most of the songs on the record I wrote um there are a couple of covers on that album and the girls co-wrote one song with me so um they could have had more input but they weren't ready so a lot of that was kind of on me. Um, and it's interesting, you know, that time in my life, I was I was meant to get married to my childhood sweetheart. We've been together nine and a half years from like the age of 14. And we were meant to be married and six months before we broke up. So that's what that song is about, about me finding myself. I'd never, I'd never lived alone. I'd never had my own space. I had always lived like, you know, co-inhabited a, a, a rental property with my band members and my partner. So it was always, it, I'd never been alone. And um, so it, it was really cool, actually. I wrote heaps and I was absolutely inspired by Room for Squares, the album from John Mayer. I loved that record maybe a little too much. I was absolutely <laughs> like just listening to it all the time. And I remember some builders came at my rental property and he knocked on the door and he said, oh, I'm going to do some work that I'm like, no worries. He said, oh, could you do me a favor? Could you put something else on but John Mayer today? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I wasn't aware that I listened to that album so much. But what I actually was doing was I talked about performers before about, you know, because we use the word performer in like um, when we're trying to learn how to write an essay, for example. And I don't mean songwriting to sound too clinical, but sometimes when you can't find what's wrong with something, like you blurt it and then you look back and you go, I don't know why verse two stinks. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. It can be really great to put your analytical hat on and pull it apart and go, ah, it has four lines. Verse one has three. It's pretty obvious. And verse one's great. Verse two isn't great. How about we look at making it structurally more like verse one? So I kind of taught myself some stuff because John Mayer was a um, student of Berkeley College and learned a lot from Pat Patterson, incredible songwriter and incredible teacher of songwriting. So I kind of went, well, if Pat taught him, I might be able to learn a lot listening to John. And strangely enough, about a girl is from a pro forma of a John Mayer song. Don't ask me which one, I can't remember. But and and the pro forma is like 
the idea that the structure did this, that there was something shifted in the key change, like you're talking about. And um, yeah, and so for me, that was my first big success in analyzing a song and then writing my own song using that structure, if that makes sense. So it doesn't sound anything like Room for Squares or anything from that John Mayer record because it's all my ideas. But I just had the idea come because I've got lots of them. Like every day I have ideas and always have had them and I record them on my phone so much so that it is full now of voice memos and will not record anymore. <laughs> I found out today when I went to put something down. But um, I wish all your dreams come true Then I promise to love you I am only 17 When I wake up from the dream That's the two chord you're hearing, right? That's the two, yep, that's the one. What are you talking about? And I noticed you were smiling Oh, I'll never forget your face So I literally dreamt that. I was remembering and reminiscing and going, we were so happy, what the hell, you know? You were happy. Why? Where did that go wrong? And um, story about a girl. The moment you changed her world. So I wanted the chorus to not change with the mood of the lyric, as in the lyrics stayed the same, but they had different meaning. So the first verse you hear, oh, young love, isn't that great? Um, Story about a girl, the moment you changed your world, the sky turned blue and a fairy tale came true. Ah, oh. oh. right? You think, oh, that's that. And then I'm 24 and you're standing at our door with your silly grin. And you beg me to come in. And I swear that I am dreaming. Cause there's something hidden up your sleeve. So that was about a surprise, obviously, like a romantic surprise, but I wanted to hint that there was there was trouble in paradise. There was something hidden up your sleeve. So there was more to this. Story about a girl, the moment you changed her world. The sky turned blue and a fairy tale came true. Oh, it had to be true. I forgot the end of the first chorus goes, you loved me too. And so we, after that second chorus, we're going to the bridge, be true. And so now you find out um, it's hit the fan. All the bad luck I've been having lately. It seems I lost you, baby. Somewhere between love and blind devotion. Well, you decided you felt no emotion. But you loved me too. Because that happens in, I didn't realize I was telling my story, but as you get older, you realize you do still love people. You just don't feel the same way. And so I felt like I was the only human being who had the love of who I thought was the love of my life, say, 
I just don't feel anything for you anymore, but I still love you. What is that? I was like, what? How? What? <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, oh, and then the last verse is just, so I'll make myself brand new, get a nice room with a view. I could just see the water where I was living. So I almost had water views. <laughs> yeah, I'm all grown up now, but I can't forget somehow that it started with an ending. How I wish that I could learn for free. So basically the last verse is just me saying, I'm in a really good place and you know, I feel grown up and I'm on my own, but I can't forget somehow. And there's that two chord again, just reminding you that there's more to this. It started with an ending and everything does, right? Pretty much. And just, um, I guess as I get older and I listen back to that song, I think, wow, 20, cause I was 24 when I wrote that I'm 43 now. And I look back and I think, geez, you were smart back then and I don't even think you knew it. <laughs> like I didn't kind of, um, I didn't grasp the depth sometime of, sometimes of what I was saying, but um, yeah, I'm very proud of that song. Yeah, I love it. And that, that line you just mentioned, how it started with an ending when, when I was listening to it, I was like, it really reminds me of a, a line from a Jason Isbell song where he says it's a boy's first, boy's last dream and a man's first loss. And I thought, oh, it's that similar sort of thing. Everything starts with an ending. And it really reminded of that as, as a comparison against another songwriter, for example. Oh, thanks for, I like that comparison. I'll have Jason Isbell any day as a comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so I wish I could learn for free. And look, don't we all? But it's, it's usually, um, you know, our most challenging moments that, that actually shape us you know, for who we're going to be in the future. And you're right about my songwriting. It is very much my experience. I, my mum, I love my mum. She's my biggest fan. And she would often say, Lynette, I've done the family tree. And this happened to da, 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 da. He was a light horseman and he was struck by lightning. And it's an amazing story. You should write it. And I just find that so difficult unless I had potentially read about him and been moved to to write it in a sense so writing for commission i find really hard done it a couple of times having to research something and write about it but um maybe it's something that will come as i get older i don't know i just i just find it difficult if it doesn't actually kind of hit me in the feels then i i don't know how to sing about it but I can't forget somehow that it started with an ending. I wish that I could learn for free a story about a girl. The moment you change the world, the sky turned blue and a fairy tale came true. A story.
Obviously, you're really known for having a ridiculously amazing voice, Lynn. But uh, I think one thing that gets overlooked is how incredible your rhythm on your instruments when you play is. You have an awesome right hand that is solid as a rock. Um, and I think it's one of the best rhythm guitarists I've heard in a long, long time, um, like personally, like in front of them. Um, Thank you. How does that affect like anything you write? You know, a lot of a uh, lot of songwriters are uh, might be great singers, but not great instrumentalists or something like that. But they can still write amazing songs. You know, does being also a ukulele player and I think you play piano as well. And being pretty a great... poorly on piano, but I do okay. <laughs> <laughs> How does like you know being able to give that amazing good driving thing with the right hand work um, compared to say picking up the ukulele and writing a song like you know my best friend or happy or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um... Look, I think for me, changing instruments can be really, really helpful. And I tend to write, I think, some of my strongest melodies when I don't have an instrument in front of me and I'm imagining what I can hear the instruments doing. So um, in answer to your question, playing an instrument well, I think is really, really important. However, I know incredible songwriters who are dreadful guitarists and they just write incredible lyrics, incredible melody, and they're not reliant on the instrument to make up for any shortfalls, if you know what I mean. Um, but for me personally, the more confident I feel in the instrument, I don't have to be Tom Emanuel, but I think it's good to be able to represent whatever you're trying to represent in your mind and you can be limited by what you can play so that's why i think it's good to put the guitar down or you know i was writing yesterday on piano and i think i was playing like two notes or something and they sounded beautiful and i just thought really gonna do this more because it just sits here ready for me to play her and um i don't have to be you know brilliant at it I you know Bill Risby is an incredible Australian piano player who if you don't know who Bill is you should look Bill Risby up because he's just phenomenal and he's my benchmark so that's why I just don't even try sometimes I'm just like why would I bother but then I've reminded that it's about inspiration it's about creating sounds and and getting back to um there's two parts to being a songwriter the non-judgmental part the creative part that could care less what you look like, what you sound like. You can be crying and have an ugly cry face while you're writing it. It doesn't matter. It's about getting it out. And then there's the analytical side that pulls it all together. That's how it works for me. So um, you've got to kind of nourish both. So practicing my piano scales, yeah, great. When I'm writing, just going with it, the sounds and the mistakes are often the best parts, you know, mistakes in inverted commas. Um, so I think it's important to learn an instrument. I think you need to have, if you want to write melody and have some say in your chords, you know, um, because that's what I notice about singers who, who write melody, but they're not on an instrument at all. They have to kind of argue their way around trying to get a musician to play what they're hearing in their brain. Whereas if they had some confidence on the instrument, they could actually express that or a instrument. So I would say if you want to work with melody, pick up an instrument, learn how to play it. The ukulele makes me 
it's very hard it was very hard to write heart of sorrow on ukulele because it's the happiest bloody instrument in the world so <laughs> i was often i was often sitting there playing it saying to damon this will sound much sadder right like we just have to kind of imagine there's a guitar there um yeah so happy and my best friend you know they're that joyful childlike thing they work perfectly i think it's it's kind of a little bit of both you're inspired by the instrument it's also good to not have the instrument um i think you got to play around with everything you just mentioned as well talking about melodies and singing and stuff like that you quite often put an upper third or an upper fourth or an upper sixth or seventh on the on these little little tag lines at the end of choruses for example and they really take it outside of just the, the standard melodies that you hear quite regularly um and a lot of it might come about because you're an exceptional singer but uh, you don't do it all the time. And when you do really like push your voice, you don't go there for a huge amount of time. Is it a really like you know, something that you don't want to abuse, but you'd want to use it in particular parts of the song? Is that where that's coming across? Yes. I, I, when I'm, I was talking to a student this morning because I teach singing as well in between touring and recording and writing and all that. And um I said to her, you got to change that key. You got to bring it down because you're yelling at me. You're like, you're yelling at me and it's the verse. You should be getting me to come to you, not me yell at you. And I, I think that I, I kind of got that from a pretty young age about not screaming at people. I think that's why I, I really love roots music, country music. Because even though I, I can appreciate Beyonce, I can appreciate Lizzo. I think they're amazing. You know, I was only watching a performance with Lizzo and Harry Styles the other night on YouTube thinking, wow. But I was like, I would never sing like that. It's just OTT. It's, it, it's kind of, I hear one song and I go, cool, that's enough. It's kind of like when there's too much chili in something or you've had, you know, a whole family bar of chocolate, it loses something. And I had some pretty amazing teachers when I was younger, had an opera singer teach me when I was 15, 16, 17. And she knew I was singing in a rock band and doing country music as well and studying for my Trinity College of London at the same time. She was a beautiful singing teacher and she would just always say to me, even though she was like Dallas Brooks was her name and she's passed on about 20 years ago, but um, incredible woman. And she was the, her and her brother were the um, resident musicians for the queen. So we're talking about seriously incredible singer here. Right. And one of the first questions she asked me was what color my voice was. And as a, as a 15 year old, I just kind of went, feels blue today. Yeah, it's blue. She goes, good. Always have a creative connection to your voice because it's when people lose that, they get out of touch. And, and when you're singing a song, what color is it? What are you trying to express? Because if you're singing red and it's really asking you to sing blue, you're not getting it. And to me, that's what the choice of melody sometimes like, oh, yeah, you can show off and and do all that but is that actually going to hit someone in the heart or is it just going to overwhelm them and they go please stop no i've had enough of that you know like i i guess that's for me 
the joy of singing is and and writing is that sense that you don't overwhelm the listener but you also shock them every now and again they go holy crap wasn't expecting that that is such a great analogy that is so beautiful Lydia. i love that the color of your voice i have never heard mm-hmm. anyone refer to that and it makes so much sense to me as a songwriter in particular go oh obviously you know but one of those things that's in front of your face you don't notice it that is so beautiful and, and it's a, um, there are actually people who hear music in colour. I can't think what it's called. Synesthesia, that would be called. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and I have often, I I have a little bit of that when it comes to harmony singing. So I, I get, um, been in harmony groups a lot in my life, love harmony, often get hired to do BV sessions, backing vocal sessions in the studio. And like Shane Nicholson thinks in chords, so he'll be like, oh, you know the major seventh that you're singing there, if you could make that a blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking at him blankly going, sorry? And then he'll sing it. I go, uh-huh. And my brain will go, oh, so it needs to be, and it sounds weird, but I'm like, it needs to be slightly more purple. <laughs> so, and it makes me laugh because I think if, if I express that to him, he'd be like, whatever works for you, man, just weirdo but it's kind of how I think sometimes I think about the color of it the feel of it and um I just think often great singers uh who I think are technically incredible but don't touch me it's because they've lost connection with that they've they've lost the connection between what they're actually what emotion they're trying to express and what they're doing and and that whole like yeah i think there's a time and a place to show off absolutely but bb king you know he was known to play one note because and make it work make it feel make it bleed and and that i guess and listening to ella fitzgerald a lot when i was younger like she's incredible but she could just sing a note and move you it didn't have to have a trill. It didn't have to be incredibly high. It was how she felt. I, I, um, I want to go to your Secret Songs album because there's a few songs on there that kind of refer what we're talking to about. Um, and Trouble is a great one of that because you sing the bejesus out of that song on that. <laughs> but, um, you know, and you really quite get up quite high in a few places, but it's only for a small period of time just to really lift it out of there. Um, and I really love the phrasing of the heart races line in that song because it really makes it sound like all of a sudden your heart is racing, just the syncopatic notion of that. Um, yeah. And also the one, two, and pushes that you're doing on the chords there and the way that that all rolls in together, you've got a great link coming out of the chorus into the second verse. There is so much actually going on in that song. It, make, it seems just like a quite a simple sort of 90s rock and roll you know, Australian song, but there's actually <laughs> an awful lot of stuff going on in there that you clearly you've worked out to get there it's funny you know um I should do that song live I have not I haven't performed that in probably six years um I couldn't play it for you but I can hear it in my mind I could probably practice it and have it ready in five minutes but at the moment I couldn't I couldn't play it but I, I see your face on the outskirts of town it's when I know It'll be hard to come down. And it was my, you know, I was infatuated with somebody who was not good for me. 
like it was bad and I tried really really hard and I was like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there and then the minute I would see them I'd be like oh you're screwed now that's it you know you're in trouble and um yeah my heart would race and my pulse would go up and and I was mad at myself and that's why that vocal's kind of angry so I'd be like your trouble you know I was kind of like really annoyed at myself On the same album as the beautiful liar song and there's yeah. some really beautiful things that you're referring to there where the, the color of your voice like the way you say argue for example in that song is really really makes it pop from the rest of everything else around it and it, it's australian without being a cliche sort of sound and it's one thing i've noticed that you do really really well is you can sound australian on certain vowel sounds and it's a beautiful way of sounding Australian without going, yeah, mate, how you going? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, is it, and do you work at that deliberately or is this the way you sing naturally just um, just sort of just lends itself to that sound? Okay, so when I, I was talking to you about my first singing teacher when I was younger and I was writing for the first time and working with her and my very first album that I recorded with my first band in... God, I can't even think what year it was now. Um, I was 16 or something. And it's it's weird to listen to because my accent, I was singing in a classical way too much. So if I was singing about a girl, I'd be like, a story about a girl. Like it wasn't that bad, but it had that element to it. And it was uncomfortable for me. Like now I listen back and go, oh God, I'm cringing. But because I came from that world, um, even though I do have Americanisms in how I do stuff, because, you know, the music that I grew up inspired by was American music. So you're going to you're going to get that in you. And Irish music often my parents loved Irish music. So I often roll my R's in a certain way. And it's not it's not the American side of me. It's that I know what it is. It's from listening to Irish stuff. But um, as I've grown as a singer, I have made a conscious effort to try not to be over-Americanized and not ochre, but just sound like I would say it. So, and Beautiful Liar, I think, um, this, this part you're talking about is, been thinking of you lately, you were such a conundrum, so confusing, so hurt, I'm rushing it, sorry, hurtful baby, so loving um next video. i think it's in this right been thinking of you lately how'd we get to this place where we don't talk we don't even argue and i don't see your face because it is that strange thing that you go from 
every just about everything you experience good or bad you share with a partner to now we don't even argue like I can't even argue with you now it's just so strange it is such a strange shift and um yeah beautiful liar was I see it as being one of my very first songs that I ever wrote that truly didn't have a Disney ending so that whole like it doesn't end with them becoming friends. It doesn't end with me going, but you know, I wish you well. It's just saying it sucks that, you know, you couldn't be real despite all the good stuff, despite everything we had, ultimately you're a beautiful liar. So the juxtaposition of deep down, you're a beautiful person, but you're actually really good at lying. So there's an art to your lying. And, and that's what that was about, you know, that feeling of being um, cheated in a way of not actually getting to know that person because they're always covering. I love that song, Lydia. I love all the slight melodic changes you're throwing on the last chorus compared to the few one, the ones before it. But I think what I love most about that is the internal rhyming you put in the chorus of rival, desire and liar. Um, you know, and you've got that rye of the rival and then desire, it comes in in desire and Lyra as well. Did you do that intentionally or was that just a happy accident as you called it before? Um, well, it started as a letter. I was writing him a letter and, and then I looked at it. It's actually, you know, back in the day when we wrote with pen and paper, <laughs> which I still do, but I was writing it and I went, stuff that. I'm not sending that to him as a letter. This is going to be a really good song. So um, I pretty much just started to sing it and then I went and I scribbled out all the bits that weren't going to work. And I think rival was always in there. I can never rival the touch of your skin. Um, Oh, desire, the rival and desire. I think I popped the desire in after because originally in the letter it was I could never rival the touch of your skin. You're a beautiful liar. And I was like, ah, but it's desire that's that's driving that feeling. And I wish I could, you know, I hate you, I love you kind of vibe. Yeah, that was on purpose. I know. Oh, desire. That was on purpose. Yeah, I'm a sucker for an internal rhyme and that one just gets me. I was just like, oh, it's so clever because they're <laughs> in separate lines, but they're close enough to each other to notice it. And I was just like, yep, she got that one. <laughs> and did you get the did you get the reference to deer in the headlights? I trembled with fear in the headlights. It's yep. deer in the headlights. That's why I thought exactly. you might have been going there as well, yeah. Yeah, because um, I was literally, it was a memory, right? I was literally standing in front of a car in the dark and the headlights were on and we were having that awesome conversation you have with someone when it's ending and I was going to drive off and I'm fine. I'm just, you know, not fine. Um, but I trembled with fear in the headlights because it was cold. And I was also scared. I was scared of how I was going to move forward. You know, how can I do this? You know, and I was like a deer in the headlights because I was constantly in that. that, That's the same bad relationship that um, troubles about. I was like a deer in the headlights. I just kind of froze and I'd be like, sure. Yep. No, we'll do whatever you want to do. Yep bad idea I know but hey and that's kind of how I was living my life at that point and it wasn't good so reflecting on it was very cathartic and um 
And that song, yeah, just I felt like I told the truth from my broken perspective of someone who just screwed up big time. And and also, you know what? I'm not taking all the blame because you lie a lot and you suck. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are, sunk again. And I can't believe what I know. My heart was on fire. I trembled with fear in the headlights. I never could rival the touch of your skin or desire. My heart was on fire. I trembled with fear. Like I said before, you come, you, you always seem to give a really equal weight to both sides of the story, whether it's intentional or not, which I absolutely love. And it's always from a really honest, truthful heart space, you know, and I think the audience can always tell when you're trying to sing something that's not convincing or isn't the actual truth. And it seems like you never go there, which I love. Well, they're not, I don't share them with you, Chris. Ah, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the next the album. Right? They're the miserable songs that are one-sided, you know, woe is me and everyone, you know, I'm going to eat worms. And I think they're good to get out. Sometimes you write just to write. And then I remember writing Beautiful Liar. I knew, like, I knew that was a great song. I just went, holy, holy crap, this is a great song, you know. And I just knew sometimes you just, it doesn't mean you're up yourself. It just means you know that you've kind of combined all the right elements and yeah, that truthful thing. <laughs> nice use of the word conundrum in a song too, which you just don't hear very often. So I wanted to use that word. I absolutely did. I wrote it in the letter um, because the person I wrote about was a conundrum. I could never work them out. They were always confusing me and they were also a drummer. So there was something kind of poetic about talking about conundrum in there. Yeah. Nice. Before we get uh, we finish up for today, um, you've done a lot of co-writing with a lot of people over the years, and you're also the director of the uh, the Songwriting Academy for the, the CMAA. So obviously you have a, a love of co-writing and a love of passing on the information about how to co-write uh, to the upcoming you know, generation of songwriters, which I, I adore. You know, knowledge is only useful once shared, you know, the classic saying. Um, True. How do you approach co-writing with someone you've never met before, for example, because I've seen you write with people from the ages of 50 down to the ages of like, no, no, teenagers basically. And I've seen, say, some of the underprepared younger mob, you know, in tears because they can't quite do what they want to express. And so how do you come about doing a co-write with so many different types of singers, songwriters, ages? Well, number one, I think you've got to know what you're writing for in the sense of you don't have to know like i'm i'm not saying you're going okay we're going to write a song that's going to be um you know in uh in the bush ballad category at the golden guitar i don't believe in that what i mean is you sit down with the person and and you you kind of want to interview them first if if 
they're coming to me to write for their album or their song or their single right or just whatever I want to know why and what and who they are so sometimes you spend a good 30 minutes getting to know somebody and or more you know getting to know where they're at in that moment and um that can drive a lot of the song because you get to a point where you go hey you know what you were saying earlier about da 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 why don't we talk about that you know it can make all the difference um i i think marilyn carter i i do the carter and carter songwriting retreats i've done them a couple of times going back again this year twice and one of her things is to remove ego she talks about taking your ego out of the room because it's not Lynn Botel. I'm writing with with you know Chris Matthews for your project. So because I would write beautiful lie, doesn't mean you would. And they come and obviously you've come to me for a reason, but also I've got to remember that it has to be your voice. So the first thing I like to do is a do that kind of into it's it sounds methodical, but just chat to them chat to I say if you're going to write with somebody that you don't really know well or you know incredibly well chat to them about where they are where their headspace is at in that moment um and what what's really on their mind you know some of the best songs I've written are with people who've come and gone I just had the worst day I'm not prepared for this because my car blew up this happened my ex is a bastard, whatever, right? So you sit there, you make him a cup of tea. Oh, I'm so sorry. Here, let me get you a sandwich, with, you know, but Zoom writing's a whole other world. But same thing, you, you have that conversation. And before you know it, you're writing a song about that day they've had, you know, and that becomes part of it. But the second thing I would say you want to do is one thing I think goes awry with co-writing with really strong co-writers and, and newbie co-writers, for example, is they don't find the right key for that person. So it's a very simple thing. So they're like, I'll sing it here. I was on fire. And you'll be like, I was on fire. So, and the chorus should be the big part, right? You wanna, you wanna really spread your wings out potentially, depending on what chorus you're writing. So I'd find out what key it was in for you. Okay, hang on, let's work that out for you. Can you hum a melody? How would you sing that? And then you have an idea about where their voice sits and how their their voice is gonna actually, I guess, bloom, <laughs> for want of a better word, like the get the best out of it and find their highest and their lowest note. It's pretty simple. And, and then they're singing their song not your singing a song they then have to learn and change the key and they sing it and after the fact and go oh it doesn't really suit me you know and you go well yeah because it wasn't written for your voice for for example um the other thing i think is important if you're going to somebody for a co-write is to have two or three ideas i mean in saying that i I'd never written with Peter Sheree Peters before. She's someone I've known for many, many years. She did the Academy in, crikey, I think it was 2004. And back then it was the College of Country Music. I might've been earlier than that because I wasn't there as a tutor or anything. So, but we've known each other many, many years. And I just happened to get in touch with her last year during the pandemic. And I said, oh, can we do a co-write? I've got a song idea and I, I want to write it with you. I feel like it's for you and me. <clears throat> so then 
I just went with my gut feeling and and showed it to her. I also think you don't need to have a fully formed idea. You might have a, I don't know what it is, but it goes like this. I know it's really cool. It goes da 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 ba da ba 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 ba, and and it has blue in there, or you know what I mean. Like so, as long as you've got a real feel for what you're talking about and and you're willing to kind of go there with the, with your co-writer. Um, that would be my advice. When I'm writing from my perspective, it's it's very much about making sure I'm monitoring that it is something I would say. So in my voice, in in you know, from my perspective. So there's that side of it too. But I think with co-writing, it can go really well, can go really bad. And then sometimes you just, you know, Janice Ian, an incredible, beautiful woman that she is, um, incredible songwriter, um, had huge hits in the 70s and 80s and 90s too, and still has a wonderful career. When she was living in Nashville, I went over there for some co-writing as part of my publishing deal. And I was scared out of my wits. And she picked me up from the airport she was so kind. This is a Grammy winner, you know, and, and I'm like, I've got to tell you, Janice, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out here. And she goes, honey, it's okay. If we write a great song, we write a great song. Otherwise we're going to have a nice lunch. And that perspective has stuck with me for the last 16 years, ever since she said it. Um, I even say that to people, you know, Hey, worst comes to worst, We'll have a nice lunch. We'll just hang out. And I think when you remove the pressure and you make it more about a social interaction and, and people actually communicating, then it works. And it was interesting in Nashville, I had probably a dozen co-writes, one of which was a bust. And you know what we did? We went and had a nice lunch. Went out for we- lunch. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Hopefully it was nice. We did. It was. We went for Mexican. But it was just one of those funny moments where I looked at him, he looked at me after about, 40 minutes of navel, you know, staring, like going, oh my God, what are we gonna, this isn't gonna work. Cause every idea I had, he was like, meh. And every idea he had, I was like, meh. So we went, do you want to just go for lunch? Sounds good. And there was, it was fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't always have to be the best. How do you approach it with um, the BBU guys? Obviously you, know, you and Felicity Urquhart and Kevin Bennett, you know, two other incredible songwriters here in Australia. And you know, to have you three guys all together in one band, and um, I have spoken briefly to Kev about it, and he sort of says you all bring in a, a song each whenever you go in and sort of you know, start throwing them at each other and seeing what happens. So do you guys ever like start from scratch, like you just said, with like an idea or just a, a couple of chords and a concept and they come about? Or do you come in with complete yeah. songs and they, then you just sort of work on them together? Well, the rule is I think it works because... For a start, we're all singers. We're all lead singers. There's no one lead singer in in our group. We all have our own careers. So this is our passion project. So there's the onus is on you to have one idea, at least one good one. You might have one you think is crap, but you bring that as well. And you never know, it may not be that bad. Um, But the idea is that you have something that's driving you that you bring it to the table. Again, it could be like um, a couple of times KB's had like two verses and half chorus 
And I'm like, dude, you could finish this on your own. And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to. I want this to be a BBU song. I want you girls to come in on this. So, and that changes the perspective completely. Other times I've come in there with, I remember when we wrote Mountain of Pain, which is on our second album. Um, I didn't know what it was about at the time. And I said, I, I don't know what this is about, but all the news is really bugging me at the moment. So I think it's about that. And I was singing, oh, like this gospel thing. And I'm like, you know, and, and, and the lyric is, um, you can't, you can't. I was like, it's something about walls, you know, you can't build people up by building walls. And, and I was getting angry and I started talking about Trump. And then KB said, I think this is about Trump, Linny. I'm like, oh my God, I think you're right. So we started to write the song, a political song about Trump being in power and how he was literally building a wall to keep people out. And you can't make, you can't make people great again, building walls and laying blame. I, I love that line, that building walls oh. and laying blame, but all I see is a mountain of pain. Once again, you're giving equal weight. You're actually seeing the, the flip side of the coin, you know, rather than going, you're an idiot. You go, all I see is yeah. a mountain of pain. I, I really love that. It's, you know, it's, it's, you're not preaching, even though it's really clear what you're trying to say. You're not going, it's this. Yeah. And I think we made a, um, an absolute effort not to, to mention any name in that. So people can listen to it and maybe it's not about, it can be whatever they want it to be about. But um, for example, Fliss wrote Fading Out because she was, her idea for that was because she was literally going, holy crap, it's midnight. The guys are coming at 10. I haven't got an idea. What am I going to, this time of the night, I'm hurting, should be asleep, dreaming. That was literally what she was feeling at the time. Sometimes it's really good to just write, to not think, how can I be incredibly poetic right now? You know, in my best Margaret Thatcher voice. Um, it, it's sometimes it's better to just blurt how you're feeling look around the room what's in the room just write 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 and then analyze it and go what's good in that you know and that's pretty much where fading out came from and with kb he can write a song like <laughs> he'll come and go i've got a couple of good ideas I'll see you girls wednesday and then he rocks up wednesday and says sorry i wrote those ideas i couldn't wait but i've got these other ideas and he just is a prolific songwriter he writes every day and he's at a point in his life where he can do that you know like he's not going to a nine-to-five job he's doing his gigs and everything but his job is being a musician and, and a songwriter all the time and you know he's allowed he's got a beautiful space where he goes down and he's not bothering his wife and he can muck around and sing and play and that's what makes him apart from his you know innate genius he has this beautiful i guess routine where he allows himself to create and i think that's a very powerful thing um i'm a little out of routine at the moment you know and i've got to get back into that and and that's i think a very powerful weapon in your armory as a songwriter is is writing regularly because you just get better at it 
you don't have to write great things all the time. I think they, well, Luke O'Shea called Kevin Bennett the walking benchmark and uh, Brad Butcher basically said the same thing as well when we spoke to him. Um, and he really is, you know, his sheer amazing output. He always seems to hit what he's aiming for is, is what I told him. I was just like, I don't know how he does it, but no, he's one of the older statesmen and he's been doing it for a while. You can't beat experience and just writing <laughs> thousands of songs. And also having a, a sense to actually not go, yeah, that works, let's go with that. So um, KB and I'll write together and I have, I'm an ideas man, you know, from the castle, I'm the ideas man. I've got all these ideas and I'm like throwing them and seeing what sticks. And then he'll go, hang on, hang on, stop throwing stuff. Pull that off. That one's good. Let's do that one. Now let's make the angle of that different. Can we come from a different angle? And what if it did that? And then it starts to kind of open your mind up in a way to a different approach. And and, you know, um, with writing with KB, I decided I wanted to write an extra song one day. I, I went down and wrote with him a few times end of last year for the album I'm working on this year. And um, and I, we had more time. I said, can we write another song? He's like, oh, bloody hell, joking around. He said, all right, all right, all right. What about this tempo? What about this? I'm like, cool. And he goes, I've got this cool little chordal idea. I'm like, yes. And then we just sang, we were just kind of, you know, blurting and I've been waiting. Yeah, that sounds good. And we write that down and then, and that's how that one just, it was just like when you're coming up with the ideas yourself, but I'm so comfortable with KB now, you know, and I, I started songwriting with him. My first co-write with him was when I was in my twenties, you know, so I've been writing with him for a long time, obviously not every month, every year but you get more comfortable in your own skin to make mistakes and that is the key because if you're too scared and you hold back you're never going to just let the creative flow happen and just remember what you say might be daft to you like oh look I don't even know what this means but blah 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 it's about a mountain you know there's a wall don't know what the hell that's about if I hadn't said that, I might not have given KB the cue to go, ah, oh, Trump's building walls. Like he's literally and figuratively building them. And then Fliss is like, yeah, it's like a, a mountain of pain, you know? So if I had held back and just sung the melody, we might not have got there so quick. We might've got there in the end, but I don't think it, so just being able to set that aside, no matter who you're writing with, if it makes you feel better, say, look, this might sound stupid, but, bleh, you know? There's, there's and, that saying, you know, like the growth and comfort zone don't coexist. You know, if you want to be grow as a person or a songwriter, you have to step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and, and look, and sometimes, you know, you just find that really great co-writing connection, and I definitely have that with Fliss and KB. Um, I've written more with KB one-on-one, -on -one, that have one-on-one -on -one with Fliss, but that's just because she's so bloody busy. And, <laughs> you know, it's hard to get get her to nail her down, I think, sometimes. But, um, yeah, just – and one thing KB's really good at is putting on different hats. So he'll go, this is a BBU hat, this is a Limbo Tell hat, this is a Flood hat, this is a Kim McKenzie hat, Kim McCartan, who's just recently written with her, or anyone else who goes to him, he puts on those hats is really good at writing for them, with them. So 
So I guess that's he's a benchmark in that way. But it's never enough. And I've tried to pace it out, understand what it's all about. How could so much light fade into gray? You can't make something great again. Building walls and laying blame. All I see is a mountain of pain. You just mentioned, Lindy, you've got a, a new album uh, on the go at the moment. Um, so obviously you've been been doing a fair bit of writing, some co-writes, some, some by yourself. Uh, what, when you are writing a song, what is it you always might have in the back of your mind, you know, as you're writing a song? Is there any sort of, like, um, uh, when I was speaking to a few other people, some people, they said, no, oh, I'm always trying to be honest. Um, other people have said, oh, I'm always trying to write something better than I've ever done before, whatever it might be. Do you ever have any, like, sort of, things in the back of your mind when you're approaching a new song or do you just see what happens? I laughed because what I'm thinking is, what the hell is this song about, usually? Like, usually I have an idea, but I have no idea what it's about and I have to kind of work it out. doesn't always happen that way, but a lot of the time I start with a feeling, with a melody, one or two words. I'm kind of vamping on something. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I feel that. I'm feeling this, the hell is this about? And then other times I'll write from lyric, like I've written songs on aeroplanes with no instrument and I'm just writing kind of poetry and I've got a feeling and then I'll put my, you know, headphones on and be, try not to bother people. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I guess for me, when I contrive something, when I'm too contrived, doesn't work you know if I'm going I want to write a happy song sure as eggs everything will be an E minor you know and (laughs) yes down and down the dumps so one thing I think can help though to change things up is to use technology in a good way so use your voice memos so that when you're in the car or you know you're going for a walk and your mind is kind of not on mundane things like you know working, breathing, eating, worrying about bills, all that stuff's taken care of and you can't focus on much else but walking the dog or driving the car. Often when in, when you're in the shower, you come up with great ideas because there's nothing else you can do. Your mind is free, you know. So it's it to me, technology is really powerful because I used to have an old cassette tape that I recorded everything onto. And that was a pain in the neck. Because, you know, to find other ideas, they often just disappeared because who's going to sit there and rewind and rewind and find it? Whereas voice memos are great. They've got the date. may not have a name for it, but you could just write good idea. (laughs) You know, I've got a lot of them, bad idea, but interesting chords, (laughs) stuff like that that I've written. Um, And also just good old garage band if if you're a Mac user or, or finding a drum loop that you can use if you, if you tend to write more ballady stuff, like using a drum loop instead. And that's where that rhythm part, you know, on guitar can be very helpful. Learning new, just learning new chord. I remember when I was younger, every new chord got in a new song because that's the nature of it, right? So learn a, a weird ass new chord that you see someone playing. 
see if you can work that out and then before you know it it's it's in a song you know amazing Linny I love you I love the way you can hear a smile when you sing and that is almost a, a bit of a lost art um, and Australia is so lucky to have you here as one of our songwriters and also one of you know the people who are passing on this information to um, the younger generation like I said knowledge is only good once shared and we love you for it oh thanks so much for having me Chris I've really enjoyed it no, thank you for coming on Talking Heads Lynn been a pleasure if I see it's pretend I won't go without a fight I'm not gonna beg or borrow